I'm Hannah Fox and I'm project director here in Derby Museums for the Silt Mill Museum of Making. And can you tell us a little bit about the museum's kind of recent Yeah, sure. So um, so I came in in 2011-12 um, and the, what had been a former industrial museum had been closed. Um, it had been closed as a result of a, a kind of lack of a sort of vision for the museum. They'd uh, done a Heritage Lottery Fund application for it, for a project um, called All the Big Ideas in the World that, that just didn't come through in that sense and it got kicked back quite harshly and the city council who then ran the three museums that Derby Museums has um, were very brave actually and took a pretty interesting and um, risky decision to close that museum um, and use the money that was kind of keeping it open for an, at one year to move the organisation out of city council control and into independent trust because it felt that actually they weren't in the best place to deliver what the silk mill needed. Um, and in that moment then I was asked to come in and, and kind of look at the silk mill with a fresh view um, and see... Coming from a background Coming from a background of uh, yeah, design, uh, had worked in advertising, um, through the line type of uh, advertising, I'm trained graphic designer and photographer, but had for the last um, 10 years, previous 10 years or so, been working with non-profit organisations to, to, to see how you can apply creativity, a creative mindset to uh, design think solutions to the things you might have as an organisation or to the way you might develop your brand or the culture within your organisation or a new product or service that you might want to offer and, and that had been um, sort of seen by the, the then head of museums, um, a project had run it had been seen and that's why he asked me to come in and at, at kind of low risk from their point of view because it was just a, like here's a little bit of money, have a play with this building and this story and I'm like oh my god who gets to do that right have the key to this building and this amazing narrative that I was unpicking and so there's nothing in it there's, there was it, no it was a, it was still an industrial museum the ground floor and the first floor had 16 big massive Rolls-Royce engines in it uh, the first floor had a kind of some element of narrative of Dar making in Derbyshire manufacturing Derbyshire it had a model railway and it had a railway collection store um, but they had been the same as they were for the you know decades previous and hadn't changed very much because of lack of investment and and, and, a, and a lack of vision really for it not to do that down but the the, the local authority was right it didn't have the capabilities yeah. to do that so it was quite a typical local authority run museum um and then we've got the museum and art gallery in pickford house and and so while the organization was looking at what it was going to be in the future and this new charity it was going to form i kind of got this key and this and no resource but this brilliant building um to play with and so that's what what i did um for what was supposed to be like three months and i'm here six years later um <laughs> so where did you start i started by opening the doors with a um by opening the doors back up within a month and a half of it closing and and doing an event over a weekend called shaping the vision um, and getting all my mates that I could persuade to come in as volunteers to help me run a pop-up cafe. Rolls-Royce, I phoned up Rolls-Royce and said, have you got anything that would be really nice and interactive? And they bought a massive scale electric set. Um, music and a big blackboard that we drew out um, in the shape of the silk mill sort of floor, floor plan with a what could we do here um, okay, question. Yes. Um, and then got people to, and people came. 880 people came over two days, 
to be curious and to find out who's this person and what's she on about and what does she know. She's got an accent not from Derby, so therefore, you know, mm. hell, the same old thing, someone's coming in. And I was able to sort of say, well, I've been here since I was 14. Been to this museum since I was 14. Um, so challenging some of those preconceptions that people had. Um, lots of people very angry, very angry, because they're passionate about it and they're very upset their museum's been closed. So briefing my teams to kind of and the people that are working with me to sort of go and understand that and empathize with that and say that passion the fact they've turned up even if it's with their arms folded is is something that we is an energy that we need because we haven't got any money or resource and we need their help to make this happen because it, in order for this to be revealed i don't know what i've never made a museum before i've never created a museum before but there's a massive city of experts that we can crowdsource this knowledge and these skills from and co-produce this vision. And so from the very beginning, you, you kind of put that what would happen if question just Absolutely. completely up front. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then people contributed these brilliant ideas like, well, you know, I've always wanted to, I'm 16, I can't go to the pub, but I play music and I've got a band. I want to perform in public. Or I, um, you know, my... I think I want to be an engineer, but I don't know what that is. And my mum thinks I should be an accountant, or um, you know, or older people saying, "Well, we just want somewhere to be social." Um, or what if we, um, you know, uh, ran a, a sector conference here? How would that work? And I'm just going, "Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, yes, fab. Let's do it." And and I. Okay, so how do we do that? And then just started to prototype those things and op open that process up. So here's this brilliant building. I don't know how to put a bar on, but we can learn. Or if you want to come and play music, can you book the bands and I'll make sure the security is in place and etc. And then over that period of time, we then just basically ran uh, over 100 events with 30,000 people coming in and playing in the space. and through that shaping it, then understanding, iterating what then was needed and understanding better. And we use in our uh, design thinking approaches, so human-centered design mindsets to, to define and understand, to think and imagine what might be, and then to model and prototype that uh, in order to redefine that. And knowing that prototyping is low risk and low cost, but ultimately then enables us to have proof of concept um, and, or to know when it's gone wrong that that's actually something we shouldn't maybe steer a, away from. And what kind of a sense did it give you of um, the kind of the hunger that there was for that, like the lack of sp like in, in two, 2017 in Derby, the mm. amount of spaces where you can come and be imaginative, and someone goes, "What a great idea! Why don't we?" I think yeah, I think that's I think that's really um, well. There was a definitely a hunger uh, internally in the organization, which was difficult to some degree because I was being held quite at arm's length at that point because it was going through its own mass change into then a new organization that had been a museum's, a local authority museum's organization for over 100 years. So people had long careers with this, this organization and change is scary. Um, so there was, there was a resistance to that. Uh, as to, to, what to you change, were doing. yeah, yeah, absolutely, active resistance, both in the public mind to some degree because it's change and it's scary to see that the model railway I love might be at risk. Therefore, mm. I'm going to kind of rail against that. Um, and 
and uh, equally for staff to sense that there's something unknown and it's really hard to get on board with something if you're not quite sure what it's going to be. And, and, and then for funders to do that too, to convince them that it's okay, this will be great, and then to give you the resource in order to take it to the next stage. Mm. So it's really scary, actually. Um, for, it's the biggest project I'd ever done. Um, at, or at the time it was nothing because there was no money and I didn't know what it was going to be. But I, easily as you started to see that there was a momentum building, I was thinking this is actually a more than 10 million pound project and oh my god and how are we going to fundraise that and how are we going to hold true to those values of design approaches and creative thinking and creating a space for us to be experimental and iterative when someone just wants to know what it's going to be um, so my job as I see it is to hold the space for that to happen um, and to continue to do that and, and more people getting involved and getting on board with it. And as soon as you empathise and they kind of feel that fear and they've tried it once and you, you know, it might have not gone right mm. but they've not been blamed for it not going right, then you start to gain your self-confidence hopefully, collectively and also to be transparent when I've got it wrong, if I've messed up. So, um, so, so your role is more of a facilitator and holding a space rather than a conventional kind of leadership it's, yeah you know. it's I think that's what leadership should be personally mm. and I think that you know absolutely sometimes you have to be the pioneer and you have to be the, the person that's got the vision or is forming the vision and there's absolutely a role for that and there has been times when that's absolutely been the thing I've had to do mm. but um, but then I'm always conscious that if that's the situation and something happens to me then that then the risk of it all just going back into the norms or mm. to, 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 for it all to stop again are too big. So you have to spread the load of that mm. vision. You have to give a broader ownership for others to feel that they are doing it too. And I think we've tipped that balance now. I think if I kind of run, get run over by a bus tomorrow, this project will still happen. Yeah. Because there is a much broader ownership. The culture, the cult, absolutely. The culture for us as an organisation, new, as a new organisation, and we restructured in order to achieve that too. Um, but also, I think the momentum of the volunteers and the expectations of the people that it's not just us doing it, that, that we are doing it yeah. together um, for our collective good and for the good of our city and our citizens and each other is, is true where perhaps it was a kind of, yay, it'll be great. <laughs> it's, it's really embodying yeah, it now. So if one were to visit there today, what <laughs> do you see there that makes you think, oh, this has been designed by... Yeah, oh, well, the, you, don't, you don't see... I mean, this is a project in, in iteration. So the project lab that we've just had for the last 18 months phase is just closed, but we've actually got the poppies, um, the, the um, weeping window from the... Tower of London poppies is on the silk mill currently, so we've got we've got uh, hundreds of people there today, right now. But you walk into a ground floor space because we've just basically done a prototype strip out of the ground floor with a bit of capital money we secured from the city um, initially to get the building back open as a space to play better. All of the engines were removed back to Rolls-Royce because they'd been sitting there since Rolls-Royce had given them in the early 1970s, and by their very nature become restrictive and, and are dated, are almost like a graveyard to engineering. And we all collectively, including Rolls-Royce, agreed, you know, that's not the story we want to tell here. So let's open that space out and just strip it out entirely and not put any collections in it to start with. 
um, and see then what emerges and let's, co let's kind of do a, a prototype make of it. So we put good workshop spaces in there. So there's a um, CNC machine, laser cutters, workshop. We have a workshop supervisor on staff now. And we manufactured, designed and manufactured all of the elements that are in that ground floor from the cafe to the chairs to the exhibition cases, etc. And they're all movable and able to respond to whatever that event or activity that we might be putting on, whether that is a full sector conference hire now and in earning income from that, or whether that's um, you know a, a quiet school visit or whatever might happen in there. And that's allowed us to then um, understand again what's working, what isn't, and then to think about the scale of that and to then secure the first round passes for um, you know the 16.4 million pounds that the project is going to cost. Um, from the Heritage Lottery Fund and Arts Council and the city itself. That's enabled us to show the evidence to them of how it's working and it makes sense and that they, they've backed it from that perspective. So the Heritage Lottery Fund sort of changed their mind when the whole when the new approach came yeah. in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, they've been, you know, we, we're not through the next stage yet, which we will hear about in September. So this, this net last phase of 18 months has been about creating the next level of action plan and taking it to something called Reba Stage 3 from an architecture perspective, um, but uh, it's been doing it iteratively. So our design team now, where it was me originally, is massive. We've got like architects, exhibition designers, evaluation designers, business planners, um, interpretation designers, the staff team, collections, etc, etc and the rest of our organisation and then of all of our volunteers and co-production partners and we are the big design team for this museum of making. That's the design team now. Um, and so we've got it to the next stage and we put that back to those funders and said, right, here you go. This is what it, this is, what it is now. What do you think? And um, you know, we're hopeful they'll, they'll turn around and go, yeah, great, build it. And then we make it together. Um, and what will the museum of making be? be? Well, it will be a mixed-use space, so it has, um, it is about being, it has three principles, so inspired by the makers of the past, so we want to put 100% access to the collections, whereas it was 4% when it was an industrial museum, and that's pretty typical for museums. These are public assets, public resources, and so they should therefore be 100% accessible to the public. So how do we do that? We've got 130,000 items. How do we do that? So we've been developing ideas about how we're going to, to both display those stories as open storage, etc. Um, and those stories and narratives about the makers of the past, we need to capture as they are going, because those past is yesterday. So we have current people who are making in the city. We've just had a conversation about a manufacturer in Belper, just nine miles up the road, that has closed last year. Those stories are ever decreasing or changing. Um, <laughs> um, and so then the next phase is made by the makers of today so how do we co-make the museum we've got this great status as the number one high-tech city in the UK more, more people employed in advanced engineering than any other city and yet we have some of the lowest attainment in schools and people in the locality are not aspiring to those careers or knowing that they're even accessible to them so we're importing those skills so how do we change that dynamic and how does us, our museum and the cultural organisations play a part in sh making that shift for young people to feel aspirational, to see it from, move from STEM to STEAM, so science, technology, engineering, arts and maths and creative thinking as the bedrock for all of those things. Um, and so we're going to co-make it. We're going to actually manufacture the fit out of the museum on site 
by the public rather than it go off to a, an exhibition designers that yeah I mean there of course it's in, it's out to tender but those people that will lead that have to construct it and manufacture it with our volunteers um, and then how do those two first principles and then the programs that we deliver in the museum whether they be from schools to lifelong learning to graduate startup businesses to whatever how do those empower the makers of the future so that Derby continues to be this place of excellence in making and we understand how making makes us feel better not not simply to see ourselves as consumers but to see ourselves as producers of good stuff things that make a good social impact um, you know, and, and, and are environmentally conscious and this is a, a building that was run in the early 18th century off one power source and produced 300 million yards of silk thread a day off a water source and now it's run off a power station so you know, it's to open up that conversation about yeah, what yeah, is yeah. the future of, of that something that I've asked everybody that I've spoken to while I've been doing this has been so if, if you had been uh, elected in the election that we just had and you ran on a platform of make Britain imagine this is again oh how wonderful what would you do in your first hundred days in office well it would be to understand what's stopping us from being imaginative you know I think coming back to the you know I've got assumptions that I would make about what I think is stopping and some of that with real knowledge because of the experience I've had but I, I think I have to really go and understand what is stopping it from happening already so your first bit has got to be to really know the barriers yeah. to imagination in order to make any change happen yeah. and get under the get under the so it's research it's the, re, it's the research and understanding okay. what those barriers are first off and not assuming you know or if you have those assumptions going and testing them um, so you said you had some hunches well for me yeah and, and and on top of that is then look for good practice where are those places those small tiny things that are happening where mm. as you find them where are those things are where imagination is rife and it, uh, beyond my my knowledge mm. where, where is the stuff exciting things happening and what can we learn from that um, yeah some of my hunches are um, I think our, I think our our natural move into adulthood is, is, is something that happens I think is the curriculum and the exam system in the UK is is criminal quite frankly um i think that it absolutely de-risks uh it's about passing exams and it is not about young people being able to be playful experiment and about them knowing that to fail is okay um we are not cultivating a culture of that in our schools and we're not cultivating that in a culture of that in our teachers we're not enabling our teachers to 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 create that environment because we are results driven um, so I think that's a fundamental. That's that is it basically, and 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 that it, you know. So how do if so I think from the museum's perspective is like our vision is how do we accept that that currently is not what we can do about changing that in school right now. So what, but what we can do is create space to enable those teachers and those young people to do that stuff, yeah. the things that we yeah. feel, and then support the change to happen. If, if that's possible, yeah. to support our a, city. Give them something to step off onto. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and so that, I think, is then, would you, maybe that's, there's something in that. How yeah. do, what, where are those spaces, like you said before, that we can then um, encourage that, that creativity and imagination and risk-taking and, and to have the attitude of feeling the fear and doing it anyway mm. uh, as, as habitual 
rather than the exception. So you'd look around, you'd get a sense of what was going on, you'd identify the best examples. Amplify those. Yeah. And, and, and stop the stuff that's not working, yeah. you know, which is hard. And do, yeah, do the opposite of all the things that are... Yeah, if something is, it, yeah, stop, <laughs> just like stop. Yeah, yeah. If you're in a position of power, say no, yeah. stop it. If it isn't, if that's, if, if, you know, when I say it's not working, if it's habits, if it's obviously a dream, you know, just because it's not working doesn't mean that it can't have the opportunity and potential. But if it is a dream and it is the counter to that, then stop it. And is your sense, is your sense that, that we have a, how do you for time? I'm good, I'm fine. Is, is your sense from, from your work that, that imagination is a, would you say that we have a crisis of imagination in this country? I, 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 I think we are, if we're not there, then we are about to be. Because it, 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 it oh, yeah, and for so many reasons, of course, to do with media, you know, and to do with the, uh, the way that we engage with each other, the, the lack of conversation, body language, the things that are stopping us from getting excited with each other as mm. communities and bouncing ideas off each other and that, and that fear of missing out and that judgment that we've put on ourselves uh, all of those things I think is absolutely endemic and we, ha- we have to do something about it we have to yeah, yeah. we have to because we will f- well, we'll, fall, but we'll we'll just get to the point where we stifle ourselves um, and when we have well we're at it right we're at it where the world is you know uh, yeah we are beyond it, we're yeah. beyond it where we're, we're we're messing up big time and we aren't going to have a way of being able to get out of this hole we've dug ourselves yeah. so we've got to do it now yeah. agreed <laughs> <laughs> absolutely